Soy Power Podcast is a free podcast made possible by the support of our awesome Patreon sponsors. Head to toypowerpodcast.com and see how you can help. Welcome to Toy Power, the podcast where we talk toys and everything pop culture. G'day, I'm Trent, and it is great to have your company today for episode one, two, eight. This week on Toy Power, we take a look at part two of our favorite comic book arcs. We then jump into a segment where we take a look at the greatest 1980s board games that we played. Joining me today in the Toy Power studio, we've got Frank. Well, hoi hoi. Darren. Hello, everyone. And Ben. G'day, g'day. And it's comic book time. This was mm-hmm. a popular topic. We got a lot of requests from fans to do the, another segment, another instalment of what are our favorite comic books. A lot of people out there are looking, what do I read next? There's so much out there. What are some of the recommendations from Toy Power? And Frank, you're going to start us off with your next recommendation. Yeah, so last time we did this, I got in a bit of trouble for picking a massive run, a Ninja Turtles current IDW run. I say current because it's still going, nearing episode 100, I believe. Uh, So this time I've stripped it back. I am literally talking about two single issues that go back to back. So it actually comes from the middle of the run. I'm going back to IDW because they're my favourite at the moment. Well, I'm talking Transformers, Mm -hmm. and I'm talking the Transformers run from that ran from 2006 to 2016. So after 2016, they did a New 52 style thing and rebooted their entire continuity. So the the issues that I'm talking about are issues number 22 and 23 from the series just called Transformers. Uh, is is in, in the middle of their, I think the Chaos Theory was the sort of story arc happening at the time. And these issues come in at about uh, July and August, uh, you know, about 2011. Uh, written by James Roberts and art by Alex Milne, who has pretty much since then become the standard Transformers mm-hmm. artist. He's very, very well known. And look, these are it's it's two issues, right? Now, despite being in the middle of this entire, you know, big massive story arc, these issues kind of act as a bit of a, a windbreak, if you like, and you can read them totally out of context. You don't have to know anything about the stuff that's come before, as is the way with IDW. They're very clever. It sets up stuff going forward. But if you're only ever going to read two issues of Transformers comics, these are the ones to read. Whilst a lot of the bigger stories focus on a lot of the smaller characters, you know, your, your Ultra Magnuses, your Rodimus Prime, your Galvatrons, these ones, there's one issue that is all about Megatron, and the other issue is all about Optimus oh, Prime. Nice, cool. Right? So the it's yin really and the yang. very clever. Exactly. And even, even the cover art stands out where one issue is just literally half of Megatron's face, and then the, the chase cover is. So it's how Megatron looks in the current continuity where he's got the sort of black and purple motif going on. And then the other half is how he was in Cybertron before the war started where he's very much a construction worker and he's got sort of red and, sorry, black and yellow sort of stripes mm-hmm. across him. Same with Optimus Prime. There's a current half half of Prime's face as he currently, currently looks. The other half is very Orion Pax mm-hmm. looking. So really striking cover art. So what we get out of these two issues is really an amazing in-depth look at the two most famous bots in the franchise. And what's great about them is it actually 
it's almost a humanizing portrayal of of these characters and what makes them tick. Uh, you you really get an understanding of why they're the leaders they are, and it also apart from what's happening in the now, there's flashbacks to Cybertron before the war. There was no water bots. There was no Decepticons. It was just a race of robots living on Cybertron. And there's governments involved. There's, you know, this sort of uh, hierarchy and how how Cybertron society actually functions. What you find at this particular point is the what we would know now as Autobots. They were the ruling class. They were the governors and the senators and, and these sorts of people. And the Decepticons, by and large were the construction workers, right? So you almost get like a bit of a, a unionization type thing. Uh, Megatron at this point is peaceful, right? He He's a pacifist. He writes articles as suggesting, hey, our society's broken. We need to fix this. Anyway, he becomes too annoying, gets thrown into jail. You've got a bit of police brutality type stuff happening. The jailer at that time who runs the prison is Orion Pax. Mm. And he reads this stuff that Megatron's written. He goes, do you know what? This guy shouldn't be in jail. I'm going to free him. And the story, story sort of spills out from there. Probably, and so you flash back to backwards and forwards between the, the present and these past stories. And you, you really get to see, uh, it's a little bit, uh, you know, one bad day where Megatron mm-hmm. goes from this pacifist to he's like, I'm so sick of this. I'm going to straight up murder some bots because I just had enough. You learn where the Decepticon symbol comes from. They imply what Megatron's name actually means as far as they sort of break down his name. Uh, you see Optimus Prime coined the term Autobots because in reading Megatron's writing, he goes, do you know what? I don't agree with his killing and the way he's going about it, but he's got a point. This whole, the system is corrupt, basically, and he creates the Autobots from that. So it's his real sort of Genesis stuff. But there's this wonderful panel, the true highlight, right in the middle, where it's the present day Optimus and Megatron basically talking. And they're like, Sharing old war stories, mm. you know? Oh, do you remember that time you cut off my arm? What, what do you mean? Which arm? My cannon arm prime. You always go for the cannon arm, right? And then they're literally chuckling and laughing about all the miseries they've, they've brought on each other over four million years of war. So, oh, you remember that time? Are you kidding? That was compared to the time when you've split me in half. It took Ratchet a week to patch me up. And then they just sort of stop and like, you know, they've just traded. It's fascinating to see these two characters that you know really really well and they just literally break it down to say and they look at each other and go why are we doing this why why are we fighting and and it's fascinating look at two characters in a in a franchise where there's lots of side stories there's entire like mini runs to dedicated to tailgate and and these sorts of really offbeat characters this reminds you why optimus and megatron are just so damn iconic so damn cool and iconic yeah Yeah, so I'd kind of liken it to like the killing joke in terms of there's that sense of duality and how they they almost need each other or were created by each other. Um, So yeah, it's it's really nice to go back and see where those big two were. So that's going to be my recommendation. Transformers 22 and 23 from circa 2011. If you're just going to read that, of course you can go back and read all the IDW stuff from then, which is great. But yeah, pick those two and you will... It'll either it'll reaffirm whether you're an Autobots or a Decepticons right. guy straight up. Sounds amazing. Now yeah. the art, if I'm thinking of what it is, is amazing in yes. this. Yeah, because that style of IDW making these you know transformers come to life yep. is just done so well. Yep. I mean, I've I just 
go to the comic shop and I'm flipping through the IDW stuff and I'm just in awe of how good they can make it yeah. look. It looks cool. And it's all... At this point in the story, none of it takes place on Earth. They're yes. either in a spaceship somewhere where Megatron and Prime are talking in the present day or it's on old school Cybertron where oh. it's metal everywhere. And it doesn't feel like a homogenous mess mm. a la Michael Bay. There's lots of bright colours yep. and, and big bots with various shapes and sizes. Gorgeous to look at. Yeah. Fantastic. Good call. Darren, what have you got for us? Is it something related to Batman? Favourite comic book property? Lucky guess, Trent. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Lucky guess. So I have chosen, as my candidate to talk about tonight, Batman, a death in the family. Referred to by Dennis O'Neill as the telephone stunt. <laughs> Batman, uh, a death in the family, collects Batman issues 426 to 429. It's written by Jim Starlin, art by Jim Apro, covers by Mike Meglinglo, and edited by Dennis Denny O'Neill. So basically... Is it Mike Malingo or Mike Mignola? Mignola. Mignola. Is it Mike Mignola? Mignola? Yeah, that sounds... Like Hellboy uh, artist? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say that again. Was it art by Mike Mignola? I believe it was uh, covers. Covers, by. yeah. Covers, uh, not okay. art. No, covers. the covers. Yep. Yeah, cool. Yep. So yeah, this, this book basically tells the story of um, Batman and, and Jason Todd. And uh, the second Robin, for those who don't know. So basically, it starts off with Batman relieving Jason Todd of his duties as Robin. And this is due to his impulsive and dangerous behavior. Jason storms off and discovers Catherine Todd is not his biological mother. He tracks his biological mother, Sheila Haywood, to the Middle East, where she is working as an aid worker. While this is happening, the Joker escapes from Arkham intent on selling nuclear weapons to terrorists. What sort of, just refresh my memory, I think I know roughly, but what sort of year are we talking on this? We're talking December 1988. Okay. So basically, the Joker blackmails Sheila um, before capturing her and, and Jason Todd. He has something over her. I won't say what that is because I, I want to keep some of it open for the readers to discover. But basically, part two ends on a cliffhanger, and this is where this is a really historical book. It ends on, on a cliffhanger that many people listening to this probably know about, where basically... There's it's called phone- a death in the family. <laughs> Pretty much. There's two phone lines. There's, there's Did two- you not read the title coming into that's this? That's right. That's right. There is a spoiler element. It's got a picture top. of Joker with a crowbar. <laughs> yes. So basically, there's... there's Two hotlines that have been set up by DC Comics. So if you win, uh, ring one phone line, Jason Todd lives. And if you ring the other one, he does not. So about 10,000 people called, and very narrow, narrowly by a very slim margin, as it's referred to, Jason people voted for Jason Todd to not survive this. Well, so, just a quick question. Was it US only? Or was yeah, it was US a, only. Yeah, it was, these days it would be What they call right? eight, <laughs> 800 numbers over there, which I guess are like our 1-800. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair so, enough. So this copped a lot of media attention back in the day because obviously people not in the know thought this was the original Robin, this was Dick Grayson. How could DC even contemplate this? And then when... When the vote the, do they not did. know what comic book writers then do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's alive again. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. So, so anyway, needless to say, uh, Jason dies. Batman doesn't make it and isn't able to save him in this. And the the bottom bottom line is it takes the characters in in directions they haven't been taken in yes. before or for a very long time. You see a Batman that has lost grief and trauma, and while people will say yes. 
didn't he always have that because of mm. his parents? But he didn't have it fresh, no. burned into his face as an adult, as, you know, while he's waging this war on crime yeah. and and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, there's, there's implications for him and... And he's created this surrogate family for himself, yeah. as we know, the Bat family. So it, it sort of brings all that to the forefront. And we see a Batman that, that suffers for a very long time. We also see a Joker that has diplomatic immunity because he ends up uh, being a representative for Iran in with the UN. And we see a, a Batman and a Superman that's at odds because Superman basically is tasked with making sure that Batman doesn't doesn't um, take out the Joker. So this is a, my pick. Obviously, I think it's a very moving story and it's a very enjoyable story because it, it really expands on the Batman character and, and and also the Joker and reminds us just how dangerous the Joker is and that. But it also reminds us that Batman's human. He has losses. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't win. He makes mistakes and things don't always go his way. And, and we're reminded of just how human he is because he feels and carries that with him after was was this in response to the fact that jason todd as uh, robin was never really accepted or he was not, never, he was never as popular i believe yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah that was exactly what it was well, he was yeah. never embraced as as a robin <laughs> you don't like him. him we'll kill him you, you yeah, tell yeah, us we'll live it up to yeah, you yeah it's it's an interesting concept it call, is because like even yeah. now you wouldn't see comic book writers do that they spend no doubt, months no. in the writer's room plotting out these big things and have to put all the chess pieces yeah. in the right spot. To, but then to essentially have a, a writing no. decide the direction of the writing is, is unheard of even now. No. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty historical for that, I think. Mm. And, but it really does shape the character for a long time and, and it sets up Batman for a long time after, even after Tim Drake comes into the to the story, it sets him up and as, as a character that, that's very reluctant to have you know, a, a bat family out there with him and, and, you know, really returns him to his loner roots that, mm. that he came from in the 1930s. I think it did a lot to expand the characters of the day and and take them in, in new directions, but also was really moving. And I think there's a lot to enjoy about it and I recommend it. Can you tell me a little bit about the art style for this? It's coming in that sort of late 80s era yeah i i can very much picture the the 90s look of what these comics might look like what what does this look like to me this looks like i guess a bit of an amalgamation of that and more i guess um more of a almost late sort of superpower sort mm-hmm. of look yep. if if that makes yes. sense obviously no, it's a totally different tone no no i know what that, you mean yes i but do that sort of sort of art because yep. it was the sky blue and the grey. Yes, at this stage, yeah, that's it was. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, but even just the way it's illustrated, mm. there's a bit uh, more. It's not like superpowers. There's a bit more muscles and yes. a bit more yeah. angular sort of line yeah. work. The really and pointed long, ears. long, elongated ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's... Not being the the most artistic person in the room or in the universe, I'm probably <laughs> the least qualified to to describe it in in great detail. Other than to say it is absolutely stunning art, yep. but it is it is art of its era. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. And and that, but it really fits in beautifully. And it's around the time I started reading Batman comics, I didn't actually read it as it came out, but but I got it later on. But it was around the time I started regularly reading them. I just started picking them up just after, or not long after this, after I saw the mm. Tim Burton film, and and yeah, that got me buying Batman comics. 
Very cool. good. Very cool. Ben. All right. So uh, as uh, fans of the show would know, I, my my heart lies with DC. However, for this uh, comic book uh, run, I've decided to go against the grain and choose Marvel, for Ooh. instance. But but with a twist, of course, yep. I have chosen Marvel Zombies <laughs> Volume 1. You heard it right. Marvel Zombies and I've chosen the first volume. So this is a five-issue kind of Elseworlds comic book miniseries, which was published by none other than Marvel Comics itself. Issue one was released in February 2006, and five was wrapped up in June of that same year. So not too long ago at all. The blurb from the back of the book, it just describes it so beautifully, I have to quote this. Torn from the pages of Ultimate Fantastic Four. On an Earth shockingly similar to Marvel's universes, an alien virus has mutated all of the world's greatest superheroes into flesh-eating monsters. It took them only hours to destroy life as we know it, but what happens when they run out of humans to eat? (laughs) Follow their search for more food and witness the arrival of the Silver Surfer. (laughs) So this is written by none other than Robert Kirkman, and everyone would know from Walking Dead uh, fame and such. The artist is Sean Phillips, and he just does an amazing job of artwork in this. And the covers are grotesquely reimagined by Arthur Sidham, which is just amazing. So the art, as I said, is just fantastic. Most of the story is set in dark surroundings, but still very easy to follow and distinguish all your favourite characters. I I kind of call this a fast-paced read, right, Uh, as the sentences are quite short and punchy, Mm -hmm. so five issues can easily be uh, read in one sitting, and that's saying a lot for me, who's a slow reader at hand. Uh, The story itself is uh, quite the page-turner as well, um, so it doesn't take long to uh, power through. Uh, so the cover art is phenomenal. The artist zombified famous Marvel comic, other comic covers, uh, which are some are just priceless. Like, uh, nice. yeah, just have to check them out. Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, brings us one of the most uh, best mashups in comic book history: zombie Marvel superhumans. <laughs> now I know some may be thinking, is this a joke, right? <laughs> what <laughs> would be the point of this? Well, it turns out the combining zombies. Marvel and genius story writing brings us one of the most entertaining stories ever told. Move over Pride and Prejudice with Zombies. <laughs> Marvel Zombies is way more badass. Way funnier, very uh, way more grotesque and way more thought-provoking as well. Uh, what is Marvel Zombies, you ask? Well, the answer is in the title. In an alternative universe, an alien virus transforms the superhumans into zombies. Everyone, and I insist, Everyone is either dead or infected and has become a zombie. It is as simple as that. Apparently, this is whole concept was an idea of Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and it spawned off from there and into the pages of Ultimate Fantastic Four. Their hunger for flesh is overwhelming. The characters, both good and evil, cannot fight this hunger. Characters like Hank Pym, uh, now eating people, is no, they know eating people is wrong <laughs> that, and they try not to commit these atrocities. However, the, ta- the hunger takes over, so friends and foes all become possible meals in their eyes. <laughs> now, this Marvel zombie storyline breaches... 
was sorry it's a big lance well, he's eating ants <laughs> yeah he's he's giant man in this as well yeah. so um now this marvel zombies storyline breaches over many volumes and story arcs it even crosses over with ash from army of darkness at oh, one wow. stage the series loosely uh, lo- uh is loses momentum in the as the volumes get deeper into the universe probably because the characters don't last very long yeah. uh, but today i'm only focusing on the first uh, volume which is five issues uh, most of the characters we see follow uh, in this uh, story are already zombies, right? From the get-go, you open page one, bang, half the crew are zombies. Um, you'll have to hunt down the prequel volumes and individual storylines to see how they all turned. Uh, so the main group of characters we follow in series one is Magneto, Colonial America, right? Oh, Instead no. of um, Captain, Captain America. Yep. Oh. Uh, Iron Man, Hulk, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Giant-Man, a.k.a. Ant-Man, Wasp, Luke Cage, Black Panther, and a few other characters come into the storyline later into the book. Heaps of cameo characters and background characters to be seen and literally consumed. (laughs) Um, Some of the other Avengers are seen in the first few issues, and we see a large team of villains in the last few issues too. So overall, it's an extremely extensive character roster in play. I just don't wish to spoil too much uh, yeah. for those keen to st- uh, check this story out. To give you an idea and of how uh, and they portray the characters as zombies, Colonial America's top of his head is cut off, brains exposed, and he continues fighting without missing a beat. <laughs> Spider-Man's leg is broken. What does he do? He rips it off in protest. <laughs> I strongly recommend Marvel Zombies to any fan with a horror sense of mind. With all the exposure of Marvel on the cinematic scenes as well as the many Netflix TV series, any fans of those will be able to easily distinguish who all the characters are and uh, everyone jumping into this should already have a basic understanding of all the characters' traits and abilities and you can enjoy them, this unique, grotesque portrayal of them all. This is in-your-face, unapologetic, unadulterated entertainment. Overall, this is a five-issue arc. It's super fun read and not a story to be taken seriously. I give it a solid nine out of ten. Nice. I, I had this comic series as a collected hardcover trade, beautifully presented, and it includes all the alternative covers uh, from the several printings of issue one, and it even includes references guide to all the elaborate uh, covers uh, which they're all based off because they're all yeah. grotesque. Now onto the toys. There is a range of supporting merchandise based on the characters from this story arc. Diamond Select have produced Marvel Zombie Mini Mates, Marvel Selected a run of action figures, as well as a number of mini busts and statues. Some of the Marvel Select action figures include Colonial America, Spider-Man, Magneto, Sabretooth and Hulk, all in grotesque zombie versions. Lots of statues are such uh, are released, including a zombified Wolverine, as well as a zombie Spider-Man who has just killed Mary Jane while she is still wearing her wedding dress. No, so, harsh, just beautiful, <laughs> brutal. Get into it. Awesome. I, I will point out for those who can't see, being an audio format with the book alongside him, Ben is also wearing a uh, Batman Blackest Night where Batman is looking very zombified himself. So, yeah. yeah so keeping bl- in the theme. Blackest Night is, DC, as Trent sort of alluded to, was um, DC's take on yes. zombie things, but honestly, I have to say Marvel did it way better. Yeah. Like, way, way better. M- zombie tried to do the whole Black Lantern element yes. and <laughs> yep. things like that, and it just uh, it was very prolonged and um, drawn, out. drawn out and things. Marvel Zombies, you pick up this first issue within the first 
first page, first page it's, yeah. it's 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 instant action. Yep. Uh, it's it's um not ta- not taking themselves seriously. Like mm. this is just completely out of canon. Where line. I think yep. uh, Ma- uh, Blackest Night was Tried trying to, trying, to. yeah. yeah. And uh, because this is you know um, just off the wall, um, you know, elsewhere style, do they, they, they can do exactly that. Yeah. You know, mm. and that they, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Well, cool, well, very cool. Hey, for mine, I'm going to tell a little story quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But I read comics as a kid very much, so I'd get pretty much what I was given. We would get them from second-hand stores. There was a little bookstore. I don't know if it's still in Victor Harbour, but they sold a lot of comics. That that one yep. near the, yep. n- near the uh, main street. It's probably street, the same lady so, running yep. it as well. <laughs> they can still smell the must as I go through those books as a child. But So I got a lot of comics. I read a lot of Phantom, as you guys might have heard. Read heaps of DC. I got, and that you know, when people say you Marvel or a DC guy, I say I'm DC. It's just what ha- I happened to get yeah. from my mum. But through my teen years, I didn't read a lot of comics, and I I was on a trip with my now wife over to Melbourne, and I did as you do when you go to Melbourne. I went to comic book stores looking for toys, and funnily enough, I, I spent a lot of time in some bookstores because they had some great bookstores over there. And one thing I recall really vividly was they had the top. They had books from the top 100 or, you know, best pieces of literature as voted by Time magazine, for example. And up on the shelf was this graphic novel, and it was Watchmen. It was the Alan Moore Watchmen. It was rated very highly, not as one of the best comics, but just as a great piece of literature. And that started me on my journey of, of getting graphic novels. Now, I'm not doing Watchmen today, but I'm doing the next book I bought when I go, I love Watchmen. I love the, the more mature, darker take. And I love Batman. I love my DC. Mm-hmm. What am I going to read next that's going to hold up to something like Watchmen? And what I picked was this book called Batman The Long Halloween. Ah. It's the compilation of 13 editions of uh, the comic book run. Um, and it is by Jeff Lobb and the art is by Tim Sale. Circa 1996 and 1997. There is an absolute edition of this book. So it sort of tells you the prestige this story is held in to get an absolute edition. And if you do want to follow up to it, you can read Batman Dark Victory, which I've read and is very good. And there's also Catwoman When in Rome, which I haven't read. So that's one that I have to put so on my list. So those are stories that tie into... Yeah, that yep. follow, follow, follow on, on yep. from it. Yeah, exactly. So what is this one about? And why did it appeal to me so much back in the early 2000s for me when I was um, reading this? It is... What I love about this story is, yes, it brings in all the rogues gallery, but it, at its heart, is a crime thriller. So, about two mob bosses. Mm. We get Maroni and Falcone. And it's very much set in the vein of The Godfather. Um, very realistic. A lot of politics, a lot of family, how they operate. And throw into the mix a serial killer that is taking out different members of the different crime families. No one is immune. There's lots of scenes where the mysterious villain pops up and just blows away a whole heap of the the gangsters and mobsters. So it's very much that tone. So just to chat about who's in there, we've got the serial killer who is given the name Holiday. Now, it's not the good kind of holiday. <laughs> it's because he kills his victims on a holiday and then leaves a little token um, around... You know the time, so you might get some 
like Valentine's presents, Easter and chocolates. Eggs and... Yeah, that, that <laughs> style of thing. What does he do for the Queen's birthday? He doesn't kill on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Little crown. Um, you get all the villains popping in and out of the story, but fundamentally this is the crime story, so it's all about um, Maroney and Falcone, but you do get peppered through it. Um, characters like the Joker. You've got Catwoman making quite a big appearance. There's a character that's reintroduced in a big way called Calendar Man. I was going to say, like when you mentioned the... The calendar was it? Yeah. What was the holiday? Was holiday. I yeah. was like, surely that's a misdirect for Calendar Man. Yeah, and and the trick it's very Silence of the Lamb style, yeah. where Calendar Man is in prison already, uh, okay. and Batman goes to visit him to get clues, sure. and he sort of he almost takes on the role of the Riddler. He's speaking in riddles, and he sort of knows who it is because he knows all the days mm. and that sort of thing. And of course, the Mad Hatter. Mad Hatter is oh, in there. Nice. Yep, Mad Hatter's in there, and the big one, and really the origin story for Harvey Dent slash Two-Face. So this is an origin story for him. It's got Gordon, is Captain Gordon at the moment. And so in terms of the timeline, this is very much just following sort of from that year one sort of time frame. Um, This has obviously influenced some films. So when we think about the film Dark Knight, Mm. uh, there's Crime bosses and stuff. Crime bosses and the way that pans out. There's a very famous scene in that, which is straight out of this book. And it's essentially the scene where Joker puts the accountant on the pile of money and just lights it up. And just, you see that pile of money burning. I didn't know that was a homage. That that is a homage to basically what they do in this. Because, you know, it's not big spoilers. It happens, I think, in book one. But Harvey Dent and... Batman are trying to take down the crime bosses, they find a big stash of money. And when I say a big stash of money, it's literally, you know, if you ever see those pictures on the internet where they bust like a Mexican drug lord and (laughs) they find all the money and they line it up, it's a bit like that. I'll just point it out here. It's like a a room (laughs) full of money. And, you know, Dent talks about, oh, maybe we, you know, we can just steal a little bit of it. And Batman goes, no, no. How do we hurt them? We light it up wow. and they just basically burn, torch, torch the whole money. So it, it does tell the origin story of Harvey Dent. I'm a huge Harvey Dent fan and I love that whole crime boss, you know, trying to take down the, the crime bosses. And it does culminate in the acid, you know, there. Uh, Harvey Dent finally the creation gets. Of Two-Face. Yeah, he finally yeah. gets Maroney on the stand and you do get the scene where he flings the acid into his face. Really interesting twist. And rereading this for the podcast, I. I actually couldn't remember the end. Mm. Like the end, and I think I really liked it the first time I read the end of this. This time, I thought it was maybe twist for the sake of twist, if that if that means anything without yep. spoiling it. But it felt like it was a bit weak, and I didn't necessarily believe what they told me at the end of this, whether mm. that was actually a plausible outcome. That aside, it's a very, very interesting art style, um, it's it feels very cinematic, and and the art does incorporate a lot of big panels, mm. a lot of use of of dark tones, a lot of black and white. You know, so we're talking nineties, so sort of taking a, taking a leaf out of Frank Miller. It is, it does yeah, look very it's Frank very, yeah. yeah, it is very Frank mm. Millerish, and and like some of the characters, I don't know, like the the art is is relatively simplistic, like the faces, yeah, and. They they do this thing, basically, with all the mob bosses. I mean, there's a cast of maybe 30 different mob characters, and, you know, they slowly get picked off. Mm. But every time they introduce a mob character, they, they tell you who it is again. And it was sort of like, I can't actually tell from the art who this is. Oh, 
it's this character it says it. because it actually ah, says it. Uh, right sort on. of um, was quite interesting. But yeah, very you know, a bit of blood, a bit of gore, and of course you've got the Joker going around with these smile toxin and and you know like they do in the 1989 Batman film, turning everyone yeah, with, a, with the poison and giving guess, them that yeah. laughing. Guess. Noticing oh, a lot yeah. of like a lot of the use of plain backgrounds, yep. like rather than sort of really busy. Sort of backdrops. There's a lot of just simple flat colors for your your backgrounds. Yeah, it which is. is an interesting. Choice. And even the co- cover art is mm. very much in that style. So it is, it is a unique style. There's a lot, yeah, a lot of use of shadow. It does feel very film noir yes. in its in its yeah. take. So very much Frank Miller, I, but really, really interesting. I do love the uh, uh, the look of Catwoman in there. She's yep. got like these sort of uh, ears that uh, instead of. Instead of like Batman, where it's just a pointed ears, it's sort of like a real ear, like and it's sort of type, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. sort of curves Windy. inwards and things. It looks, it looks beautiful. Yeah. Like she's and she's got that purple outfit, skin tight, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, really cool. Figures just to talk toys. DC Collectibles or DC Direct at the time did a, a couple of lines of these figures, and they are beautiful. They're a bit smaller in scale. But clearly, we got things like Batman. We did get the Catwoman figure. She has the yes. tail as yep. well in yep. this, mm-hmm. which is quite a different, different kind of concept to have the tail in there. You do get characters like Two Face, uh, Mad Hatter. You get a Joker in there as well, and it does continue on the Dark Victory line where you get characters like Scarecrow. Yep. You get a Commissioner Gordon or a Captain Gordon, as it is. So quite a good roster in this Tim Sale style which I really loved and, and collected a lot of. Can I just say, it is the most iconic, um, uh, the Mad Hatter in, uh, oh, yeah. I've ever seen. Like, I've actually owned him in my collection. I seeked him out because uh, I'm a bit of a fan of the Mad Hatter. And uh, I just freaking, he's yeah sitting up perfect, on top in, in my sort of rogues gallery. Mm. And uh, to be honest, I have never seen one as perfect uh, depiction of the Mad Hatter yeah. as that one. So, I would agree. It's pretty nice. definitive. Mm. Yeah. So, no, very good. Awesome. Thanks for talking through comic books. We're now going to talk something else that's pretty nostalgic. We're going to jump back to the 1980s and talk about some of the board games that were around at the time. This was an era where if you had a big property, and maybe even if you had a popular property that maybe wasn't even that merchandisable, they would slap that onto a board game, Mm -hmm. put out a board game. So we were getting tons and tons of different things. Obviously, if you had a big movie... Things like Master Universe, Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they're all getting board games. But I'm going to tell you about a wacky one when it comes to my selection that you never <laughs> would have thought would have made it to board games. You kind of feel like board games were the, the video games of the 80s. Of course. Because you know, making yeah. video games back then was really primitive and costly and stuff. And nowadays, well, you don't see, short of Monopoly in any different flavour you can imagine, you just don't see that many board no. games. It's well, all whatever movie the, the video game well, well yeah. I, I think there's a, a definitely a huge market out there for board games I can't I don't think we can s- drop that by the wayside but it's more collector orientated board games like yes. you have to yeah. go High to end. yeah you have to go to the collector store to buy the collector oh, I know what you mean you know yeah. the yeah. proper board game you yes. can't so not go to a big W or a Target no, or you, you go you go to big W Kmart whatever you're going to get trouble you're going to get um, Boggle bo- and, you're, you're just going to get those, those generic style board yep. games you're not going to go and get the licensed board games that we were familiar with mm. back in the 80s that were back in those kinds of stores yeah. back then yeah um, so I've got I've um, been privileged enough to sort of hunt down some board games over the years and I've added them to my collection uh, and the beauty of board games is they're not very expensive sometimes if you can if you're savvy enough and if you um, 
put out the feelers and things. So my little roster of board games tonight um, is is uh, I've got to shout out one of my favourites. It's, it's Golden Girl of the Gemstone, and and um, uh, you know any chance I can name drop Golden Girl, I do because <laughs> I just I think those that line of toys is just fantastic, and it's one of the very few merchandised um, items that Golden Girl of the Gemstone actually got from Galoob uh, outside of the toys themselves. So yeah. massive thumbs up. It's got beautiful artwork on it and everything. Never played the game myself, uh, as for a lot of these other games I've collected, but to have it. Uh, in pre- fairly decent condition is just great. Um, the other one I've got is Voltron, uh, and that's a um, b- th- uh, it's based on the Lion Force team, and it's featuring the cats. It's got Robeast. It's got um, Voltron in his uh, big combined form. Uh, it, just a universe of possibilities. It mm-hmm. just looks a lot of fun. It looks more uh, one of the more complex board games of um, my collection, where you'd probably need um, dedicate an hour or so to play it and read through the rule books rather than just grabbing the dice and rolling Having it and go. yeah just yeah. working around the board game i've got uh masters of the universe the pop-up game which i only picked up the other night yeah. um and a massive got a shout out uh, shout out was where's drew um I got tagged by two people on Facebook for this uh, um, local sale. So um, our good friend um, Reese Collins oh, uh, uh, notified me. He said, dude, do you have this? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I got you back. So mm-hmm. he pretty much put it, put sold pending on it for me with my name uh, in it. And see, I was driving home, so I couldn't really answer text message, uh, messages and things. And then Anita, um, uh, which is Davey's wife, mm. uh, messaged me and said, Ben, do you have this? You know, might want to <laughs> check it. And she provided me with the link and everything so I don't have to go searching for it. And nice. I was just, you know, um, and, you know, within the next day, I had it in my uh, hot little hands for $15, 100% complete, Jeez. beautiful condition. I think that was the original owner. So just, you know, A1. Um, the it's next... also very interestingly the very original Master Universe yes. board game. Yeah. So it's significant for that. Well, right? it is. It's that first wave. It's as Darren said before, uh, off air. It's that comic book. Those it's four mini comics. mini comics, and you've, hey, you've got the jungle. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the pop up pops out, and it's beautifully done. Right, pops out. There's these stone tablets that you can move and fall down cracks in them as they open up. But there's an eagle in the background, and it's just an eagle. It's a regular-looking g- eagle. It's just a big gym. It's a big gym. No, it's not <laughs> coloured. It's, it's so... a big gym eagle, as yeah. yes. has been said. Yeah. 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 yeah, Before Lord of the Rings made it cool. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I've got the Batman, uh, the game. So yeah. it's based 89. off the 89 film. And that was another one Dave D uh, got for me from his trip to uh, the Outback. Uh, to Broken um, Hill. Broken Hill, yeah. He brought that back from a little antique store. So that's awesome. Another shout-out to the... Um, to the Davy crew. And last but not least, this is probably my absolute favourite game. This is where uh, I felt like I had so much more Masters of the Universe figures than I actually ever owned. And that is, of course, Masters of the Universe Battle for Eternia. Now, it's also my favourite board game. Yeah, control. like this this game I remember yeah, playing. I, I remember coming back to it more, more often than uh, any other game in my um, uh, possession. I've uh, actively collected. I think I've got three sets in my possession at the moment. I, I um, act, anytime I see this game up for grabs uh, for a reasonable price, I buy it because I like the little stands. Or you know, those yeah, stands yep. are priceless. Yep. I've got repos of those stands, and they're nowhere near the same quality as that vintage '80s black uh, version. Mm. So, um, just the fact that it's interchangeable with the figures. It comes with a 
buttload of um, parts and accessories. The swords, artwork is amazing. Yeah. The swords, yeah, people still try and thrash them off with Thunder Punch He-Man <laughs> and things. I can still remember the the ad for that board game on television, and it was very much with um, the emphasis, use your own Master Universe figures to play on the game. If there's a character yeah. you don't, um, don't see in the game as a token, take one of your figures yeah. and, and turn it into that. And well, I just thought that was great. It really brought an action figure line into a board game yeah. in a way that I've not seen before or since. Yeah, agreed. And and like because it you had to save He-Man, you could never be the heroic man himself. You had to be another character supporting character. So I was always Snout but Spout. And I can I, <laughs> I was always Snout Spout. Never had the Snout Spout toy as a kid, but then when the Staction came out, I was just in 2000 I was just yeah. so blown away. And I've always been a I've always had a real a soft spout. spot for I'm a Snout Spout man. Yeah, yeah. I, just, <laughs> I love I had a soft spot for Snout Spout too. I can remember seeing him in the um, Mattel dealers catalog in a Toy World interstate when I was on a family holiday before he was out when he was listed as a coming scene. And I and Dad was with me and I said, I want the elephant. I just he just looks it's just so off the wall. It's yeah. such a weird character yeah. when you think about it. But then when it's like, what is he? Heroic firefighter? You yeah. go, Do you know what? It kinda yeah, works yeah, in a yeah, really yeah. weird way. Yeah. No, definitely. So they're they're, they're my <laughs> big things. I've got them all in my possession and um one day we will might um yeah crack one out and yeah. uh, have yeah. a few games. Absolutely. Yeah. Would love to. Yeah. Now I, I had a lot of board games. We had sort of almost wasn't officially called this, but board game night where we would play board games. A lot of Monopoly, obviously, mm, those yeah. sort of things. Yep. But I had some, in addition to a lot of the ones Ben called out, I have to call out this, what I thought, it's, and, and whether it's technically a board game, I don't know, but it was basically the Inspector Gadget Circuit game. Now, this is bordering on a toy slash board game slash puzzle in 3D. So let me explain it to you. It was solid plastic. Um, it was circular. You had a control panel at one end, and you basically had a car that drove around a circular road. In the middle was a house, and you put the, the two big batteries in the house and closed the lid. The car would drive around. You had basically a, a um, steering wheel that would make the car go around, and you had a lever. Now, on the back of the car was a little basketball net, had almost like a reverse vacuum cleaner that would blow air out of it. And into that basketball net, you put a little foam ball. And when you move the lever, so you'd control, the the car would go around the board in a circle. And when you pull the lever up and down, the the air would blow harder, Uh. blowing the ball upwards. Now, on these various poles, and you could reposition the poles wherever you wanted around essentially the game board, you had little different um, sort of obstacle courses. So where you have to blow the ball through a little hole and it might be an inspector gadget with his mouth open or get it it up on a little, um, you know, bit and it would roll down and then you have to catch it as it came out like and it was i, I don't know if i've ever actually gone around and, and done successfully it successfully done yeah, it, yeah really really tricky but so much fun and really beautifully crafted like a lot of on the road there's a lot of uh artwork a lot of cartoon artwork you'd see dr claw and you'd find like almost a bit like a where's wally mm. but you know little little hands little gloved hands well, pointing yeah. where you need to go all 3d and all sculpted absolutely tremendously fun game that we got the other one that I played as a kid. And this just goes to show you all the sorts of crazy board games they were doing and putting out. 
it was the Family Ties board game, <laughs> right? I and that and I had a friend Jeez. over in primary school, and I reckon we stayed up. So we stayed up till like three or four in the morning just playing this game. And I remember how we got it. This was from a family friend. We got it for Christmas. He'd family friend had you know when you find a bargain and you go and tell everyone about this bargain. He'd gone, I found this family type board game for 99 cents being clearance. And this is at at retail. And then what do you get for Christmas that year? Family Family ties board game. (laughs) So absolutely classic. I love it. But can I just read to you, how do you make a board game out of family ties? And the one thing that sticks in my head about playing that all those years ago was you didn't want to get Skippy. You didn't. You didn't want to get Skippy. Like Skippy was like the bogey, you know, character to get. Now, and I never really understood why, but I'll tell you why. This is Have the you premise. Ever seen the show? That, I, I that know. Would be why. I know they're trying to get. I know. But basically, what's happened is the Keatons are trying to put together a family photograph, right? So you've got to go around. You've got to save up enough money to get the photograph. So you've got to get a hundred dollars, I think, in savings to pay the photographer. But getting everyone together isn't easy because as soon as you talk to one family member, you know, they they go off and they do something else and they spend the money. And then the problem is Skippy, who wants to be in the photo, and you've got to try to get him out of the photo. So that that was always a strategy, was trying to get rid of your Skippy game piece. So um, what did it have? Includes game board, six Keaton family pawns. You get Stephen, Elise, Alex, Jennifer, Mallory, and Andrew. Two six-sided dice, 49 Say Cheese cards, um, <laughs> eight of the Keaton character and the Skippy card, 40 Don't Blink cards, Play Money and Instructions. So there you go, Family Ties, you can get it Based as a board around game. trying to take a photo. Yep. That is amazing. Classic. <laughs> and Skippy thinking he's one of the family. Yeah, That's exactly. Funny. I mean, it's, it's quite well-conceived, really. It is. Bit of fun, so yeah. Yeah, it's very 80s too. Yeah. Yeah, look, as far as the license stuff, a lot of the ones I, that Ben shouted out, I have my own copy of the Battle for Eternia game, and to Ben's point, exactly, those stands are amazing and made your Master's Collection feel bigger than it actually was. We were not a big board game family. We were more like cards family. Yep. Um, being half Spanish, we'd also get the, the Spanish cards out and play Copas and these sorts of things. And yeah, so I mean, we did the more of the. I didn't have a lot of the licensed stuff, but there was the more generic stuff that we had in our house. The uh, operation mastermind was a big one in yeah, our cool. house. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was which was very cool. And one called the Game of Life. Yep, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it was like a monopoly you kind your, of ripoff. You get like thing. little cars, and you put the little tokens in the car. Is that right? Oh, Game of Life, maybe. We spin that got it. spin that big dial yeah, in the it's middle got the dial of the, in the yeah. middle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have very very strange memories of that. You'd get you'd have babies and stuff. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, oh, oh. it's been a long time. You'd have jobs. It was really weird. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of weird to play that now. If you <laughs> now like, that you've been half through your life, yeah. That's right, now that you've got jobs and stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. all real now. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, so that we were more I was very much more cards. My my grandpa was a big cards player. Um not for real money or gambling or anything like that, but so yeah, it was all about, you know, card tricks and, you know, trying to not count the cards but work out strategies yeah. and, and you know, bluffing and all those sorts of games. So so yeah, didn't not as much in the board games, but you know, have have seen a few of them. So for me, my all time favourite was the Battle for Eternia, as I mentioned before. I loved how expanded your Master Universe collection. Obviously, you got a lot of 
uh, pictures that were almost figure height of characters on stands that you could blend in with your collection. But I love the idea that they they pitched it that if there was a token, if there was a character you wanted to play and there wasn't a token and you had that figure in your collection, just take the token off the stand and put the figure mm. in. You've got the, the little feet grooves yep. for that to work and just use your figure in, in the game. And I just thought that was terrific. I also liked the the idea that, that He-Man was the prisoner in this one because I think it it eliminated a lot of fights because you can just imagine <laughs> every kid's going to be like, I want to be He-Man. Not Ben, I want to be Snoutspout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just think that was terrific. And it was a lot of fun to play. I remember playing it a lot of times and and it just... It, just, it was pure Masters of the Universe to me. It really brought Eternia into into your living room, the, the planet and all the different things. And you've got the Horde in there and, and the Evil Warriors and the Heroic Warriors and, you know, um, some Snake Man. And I just thought it was terrific. And I love the fact that it was it was late in the line's history as well because that meant that it could span different mm. eras of the line yeah. and it well, really it, did. It's the last wave, really. Well, it, had, it had the Horde, but it had a great representation of the Snake Men, which did, yeah. weren't otherwise... Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so it went up yeah. to Wave 5. I don't think it had Wave 6, but it, but it went, up right. to wave, went up to Wave 5. It had some things from Wave 1, some things from Wave 2. It represented the entire history of the line up into that point, which yeah. I think was terrific. Yeah. I'll get a shout out Hero Quest. Like, oh, yes. You know, that's probably mm. one of the mo- one of the most iconic board games of the 80s. Uh, and, um, you know, you, you type in Hero Quest and it comes up with what's the value of Hero Quest, yeah. you, know, what, you know, and all this. The reason it's so um, popular in value and, like, sought after is because the damn game came with over 100 pieces. Yeah, like, yeah. so, and, uh, of course, that was a bit of a, um, so, you know, savage sort of, um, well, you know, Conan it's style. essentially Dungeons and yeah. Dragons made into board game format with pieces. That's right. Yeah. So you had your Dungeon Master, essentially. You had your little cardboard piece you could put in front of your game board, which showed you where the traps were and how to set up the rooms and everything. Mm. Brilliant. And it's almost that Warhammer crossover with the miniatures. Yes, yes. Well, they, they do reference that. It was done by the same creator, I think, yeah. uh, if my very, very quick research um, is any indication of that. But, uh, yeah, they definitely had something paired between them so yeah. um, no, very fun yeah. game I know Sean Fuster gets that out cranks that out plays it with the family so yeah, nice. yeah very very cool I love that game had that and I've still got all the, the bits and bobs oh, wow. you could get oh, expansion geez. packs is it worth a lot what's it worth like, I don't know no? nah, I'm not sure I didn't nah, go I into just that got it in the, yeah. just got it in the game cupboard but I had a, a I think one definitely one of the expansions which was called Keller's Keep they'd come in little boxes you'd get extra a few extra pieces um, and extra, you know, games to set up, etc. Mm. So a lot of fun. Loved mm. it. The Chaos Warriors and the Gargoyle. Yeah. Very, very yeah. cool looking. And, and I'm going to shout out another two absolute classic games, more a bit more of the uh, child-friendly uh, versions. Guess Who? I mean, oh, yes. you know, who, who, yep. that, I love that game. I, I don't think I ever owned it, but I used to play the hell out of it yep. in the library and things yeah. at school and stuff. And probably a game that no one played but everyone remembers <laughs> remembers uh, air quotations playing yep. is Mousetrap, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> no just, one's ever played it. We just, it. We just properly, shot no. to the end and built the, <laughs> built the, built the whole thing and uh, and then, you know, watched the uh, ball roll down the yep. uh, skate. So, yeah. That was always the fun part. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember my auntie and uncle had it at their house, oh, so nice. that was a bit of a excursion, you know, something to look forward to when yep, we got yeah. there. We could uh, build that build on the their table and have a lot of fun with it so yeah, um, yeah classic uh, memories 
you know, one that I also enjoyed, I just just thinking off the top of my head that I think will surprise a lot of people in this room because they know I'm not a cricket fan. Test match. Test match. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Golden. Oh, well, yes. if that counts as board games, then well, he has played a lot of board games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How much fun was that? Smashing uh, that, that little so ball bearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cricket game. Absolutely brilliant. My cousins had that and I just loved it. They got it for Christmas one year and we just played the living daylights out yeah. of it. Mm. A couple of shout outs for me just on Guess Who. Played a lot of that with my, my now wife when we were in high school, but we would play a version of it where you would, a bit more cryptic, where you'd say, Is your character. A serial killer, no. and then you'd have to kind of look at their faces, or you know, does yours look like they work in a library? And all these just, just, <laughs> just for fun. Is that not like, purely subjective? Though? Well, some of it, like, and so we probably said some things. Jobs in ASIO profiling. Yeah, it's just both, just based on their look. Like, you know, does your character speak a foreign language? You know, just by the way, you know, maybe they had a sort of Moscow-like hat on or something. <laughs> but we'd play that. To your point, Darren, about battle for attorney, or and actually using your pieces. You know, your figures yep. as game pieces. Do you know the first board game to do that? No. Monopoly. So the first Monopoly that's right. ever... Yeah. yeah, people just improvised. Well, they didn't give you game pieces no, in right. the first Monopoly. And then... So people would just get what they had lying around the house. And that's where the thimble the came from. Yeah, yep. so people would get out a thimble. And then when Monopoly actually made pieces... They went, hey, that's a that, good idea. We'll make a thimble. We'll do that. Just... So who hey. was the first person to get their little Scottish Terrier yeah. and have it run around the board? <laughs> no, the car, mate. That, <laughs> someone's actually half-backed over. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. This is not working. <laughs> the other one I want to shout out from Trent Barrett was the Masters of the Universe 3D action game. This is another Masters. So Masters, well, we've counted off three games yeah. today. But this one was like a square where I think what would happen is if you landed on a vehicle, you'd essentially twist the image underneath a clear plastic board mm. and it would kind of move the position of where everyone was on the game board. Oh, really? So you imagine like it's a square game board with like squares on it and you imagine by twisting this thing around, you're all of a sudden, you know, were second. Now you're last because uh, the shape, the, actual the sh- dimension yeah, has yeah, changed. Yeah. So and, and Trent said it was a very solid game to play by today's standards. So I'm wondering if some of these games might not hold up in their gameplay yep. As well, but apparently that's one that does stand cool. up. That's very, very cool. cool. Yeah. It's great to see Masters get so much, you know, board game action in what was a six-year running line. Yeah, mm. yeah, very uh, cool. Very, very cool. We'll wrap this segment and this episode. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Toy Power. Great to have your company again, as usual. And a big shout out to all our patrons. We really have appreciated your support, kind words. And everything, I think. Shout out to yeah. it, what board games you guys played yeah. as a kid. What what we've missed out on our um, list. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's board games out there for Transformers. Mm. Um, are there any superpowers or Marvel uh, board games? You know, likewise. Did hundreds, you ever hundreds and hundreds? Yeah. Did you ever open those annuals and, and play the board game? You oh, know, inside in, inside oh, the, yeah, uh, the books call. and things. Yeah. So you know, love to hear you guys. Um, yeah, please uh, let us know. Yeah, very good. Definitely. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you around the toy aisles. And until next time, good journey. You can find the Toy Power team at all the usual online places. Facebook.com slash Toy Power Podcast. At Toy Power Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Or have your say and email us. Podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on both iTunes and Stitcher. And please leave us a review. Otherwise, we just assume we're awesome. We are a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network. Check out all the awesome shows on this awesome network full of 
OK People. Want to learn more? Go to GiantSizeTeamUp.com where you can find us and a whole lot more awesome shows. Well, they're not more awesome than us, but they're... Yeah. Oh, oh, oh.